very little independent generation of knowledge has been around. Very and I would say there is still not enough indigenous generation of knowledge and distribution and dissemination. It's the same literature from the same Western academia which influences our schools or universities. People now, imperialism doesn't have to do anything because they already created the structures for self-sustained you know, ideologues. So you have all this uh, neoliberalism you know, being preached by your own people. And if you don't have, say, if country doesn't have a publishing house that endeavors to be independent and grapples with the issues and ideas and can give room for those who are on the left to publish, then at least we encourage new works to encourage discussion in the country. Yes. And that is the point. That's liberation for me. That people have got different sources of, of knowledge, different sources of ideas, so that you can have ideas compete at least, instead of being dominated by only one idea. Spaces that are completely segregated and racialized. What it is like to be you know, queer and Arab and how difficult that might be, or how do you negotiate that? The destruction of the social cultural worlds of black people, of African people, those who were here before. Which kinds of bodies get disciplined and regulated through discourse, but also in actual practice? Hi, I'm Magrida Waku. I'm Caroline Honorian. And I'm Leopold Lambert. This is the Phenomenalist podcast, operating in parallel with the Phenomenalist magazine that engages with the politics of space and bodies. Our hope is to provide a useful platform where activists, academics and practitioners build solidarities across geographical scales. Each episode, we invite someone we admire and learn from their experiences, research and struggle. Welcome to the Funambulist podcast. My name is Margarita Waku, and with me today here in Daslam, I have uh, Mr. Walter Bogoya, who is the general manager of the Tanzanian publishing house Mukugina Nyota. And firstly, Walter, I would like to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Could you please start by introducing yourself? Okay. Fine. My name is Walter Bogoya. I'm a publisher in Tanzania. I've been publishing business for close to 49 years now. Yes, I started in uh, 1972 and this is uh, 2020. So yeah, it's a long time, 47, 48 years. Uh, before that, I was working as a, a foreign service officer uh, in the Tanzania government, and uh, then I thought, no, uh, diplomacy was not exactly my work, so I I left, and the, there was a chance to join the publishing house, Tanzania Publishing House, which was a state-owned organization, a state-owned company. Uh, it was a joint venture with Macmillan, but uh, two years after, it was um, a fully Tanzanian, uh, government-owned. Well, I worked there for 18 years uh, until early 80s. When things began going wrong, 
because if you remember those were the years when the World Bank, the IMF was uh, forcing structural adjustment on, on our countries and Tanzania in particular was very much a pain in the uh, neck because um, President Nyerere had uh, been opposing their policies. President Nyerere was a very, very strong opponent of this uh, structural adjustment and he campaigned extensively against it. But the more, of course, he opposed it, the more they were determined to make sure Tanzania is forced into accepting it. And so they mobilized uh, all countries, including Nordic countries, which had been our supporters, to stop giving an aid to Tanzania or assisting it in any other ways, just so that basically we could bring Tanzania to its knees. And uh, they eventually did. And you know, of course, the terms of the structural adjustment was, among other things, devaluation of the currency, big devaluations of the currency going on every six months or even less. Uh, at that time, the Tanzania, the Tanzania shillings to the dollar was seven shillings to the one American dollar. By the time they were through, it was several hundred shillings to the, to, to the dollar. Now, what that implied for us, the publishing house, was that uh, we had in our bank account something like $70,000 uh, at that time, which was quite a bit of money for our working capital requirements and so on. But uh, after devaluation, printing costs went up dramatically because the printers had to buy paper at the rate that uh, they needed a lot more shillings to purchase dollars to buy paper. And of course, then there was a lot of rationing of foreign exchange. So everything went up, paper went up, printing went up, all the consumables of the printing industry skyrocketed. And so what we had as adequate working work capital, all of a sudden was absolutely no value. So we, we went through a, a big crisis, and basically we survived for some time on stocks of books we had. We are not producing any books, any new books. That went on till around about 1988-89, and I thought, well, really, I can't stay because I'm not being productive, and there was no point. So I left, and, uh, and then I started my own company, ironically. But I was really trying to see what to do in between. So I did a little children's book, which uh, was very successful, and I did another one or two. And uh, they gave us a little bit of startup money. And slowly we started, but um, under difficult conditions. But uh, we went on and uh, started producing you know, substantive books, and both Swahili and English. We got to a point where, yes, we were publishing you know, a fair amount of books, sometimes 20, 30. We did actually hit the point one time of producing 60 books a year. That was a very, very successful year. Uh, at that time, of course, uh, the mix of our, of our products was that um, we were selling more educational books. But that also changed in about 2006, seven, when government decided that they would progressively remove us from doing school books. and. Uh, so by 2014, it was formalized that the government was going to produce textbooks of its own. So from there on, 
Uh, no publishers, local publishers, produce school books. So we don't produce any school books now. So we're totally dependent on our own resources here. Now, some publishers who are very strong and uh, successful in educational publishing are going through a very, very difficult time. We are going through a difficult time as well. But we have uh, had at least our independent publishing program supporters. We have got more books uh, in various fields, political science, anthropology, art, literature, in both English and Swahili. We have also, we did a very big project for SADC, the, the uh, project of, of uh, documenting the liberation struggle in Southern Africa, those nine set books you see there, and uh, that was a, a major pro uh, work we've done. We are doing now translations of all these in Portuguese and French. And uh, so we have diversified. We still have uh, children's books, but I would say our income also is coming from uh, more of these academic books, scholarly books, and we do have export some through the African Books Collective in Oxford. So, you know, we, we, are, we are managing to survive. But what, of course, we are trying to maintain is a certain kind of of independence um, and a certain kind of uh, ideological position. We are progressive, we are anti-imperialist, we are, we are in solidarity with other people struggling for their rights and freedoms and so on. So that's been our profile, I mean, starting with uh, how Europe developed Africa in, in 2073. This was our major, major work in Tanzania Publishing House, uh, Walter Rodney's book. But we've done other books I've seen in our bookstore. We've done books in Pan-Africanism. We've done, we still have got some debates uh, among comrades, among various groups working on historical books, sociology. It's, it's a broad body of work you, you, you really present here. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that we discussed earlier on was, was this, um, you basically inherited the legacy of the Tanzanian publishing house, right? Mm. Uh, but also a legacy of no monetary value, suddenly, because of these structural adjustments, which, which then again, as I supposed, had an impact on, on how Mukuki Nyota started. Uh, yes, we were, during the early years of TPH, we had also a monopoly of school books because we are, it, it was really the only publishing house, indigenous publishing house. So it had a monopoly of school books and uh, so it had good, a good foundation. But it didn't last very long because uh, the partners, Macmillan, were thought not to be running the company the way the state wanted. And so, at some point, the state decided that state, that partnership had to, to end. But, uh, and we, we and, you know, I was the first in uh, Tanzania to run the company because it had been run by an Englishman before, for about uh, six, seven years. So, many things were new. I was new, I had never been in publishing. But these were very, very interesting years in Tanzania, uh, 60s and 70s. We uh, were coming from a certain tradition, you know, of, 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 of progressive politics in Tanzania. Uh, for example, we had the 6th Pan-African Congress in 1974, 
five and uh, seven, yes, yeah, seventy-four, and um, so we had many people, many visitors from other world coming to Tanzania those years. We supported the the African American struggle. We supported the Rastafarians from Jamaica and offered them land here and so on. Now, I I suppose this is what happens the character of the person running the, the company. <laughs> I would say that was my own politics. I can't really say it was state politics running the company. Although, to be fair, I couldn't have done this outside the context, the context of Nyerere's leadership and progressive uh, positions. If uh, I had been another country, I would not have been able to do that. We are also quite critical, even of government itself. And uh, but we didn't have a censorship. This was a very big advantage. And that was again strictly Mwalimu Nyerere's uh, desire that we should have no censorship in our company, which was brilliant and very good for us. Now, when I left and started uh, uh, my own company. I went, I, I went away with the same ideas. Only this time, of course, I was even more free because it was my company. So I could do basically what I wanted. Okay? And so my work in, in many ways intensified. Uh, but also because I could respond to situations that, and opportunities that came much faster mm -hmm. than you know, when you have to account to other people, mm -hmm. which was very, very, very good. That's still very much our strength. So let me say simply that, of course, it, it has never been easy for us. Never. It has always been tough. <laughs> it still is very tough. Because the leadership in this country is not very high. And so uh, to be successful in publishing and sell many copies is not very much, it's not our reality here. But we try as best as we can, and we operate uh, very, very tight <laughs> money policy, you know, administrative policies, so that we we don't waste any resources. Uh, means that we work also very hard, and uh, despite my age, I'm 77. I work a full time. Mm -hmm. Day, in fact, I work more than a full day, a full time day. I work half more than a day. It's worth it, let us say. Definitely. And could you elaborate more on this notion of, about the readership in in this country? Because I also know that working with bilingual publications, mm -hmm. of course, is also one of the means that you that you apply to to how to say to foster a stronger readership. Yes, yes. Um, well, you know, I always say and that, you know, African publishers have uh, a kind of, uh, what can I say, we are supposed to also create a reading public, but that's not really what we should be doing. We should be producing books for a reading public. public. The business of educating people, making them readers, is not the publisher's business, it's the business of the state. It's the state which should provide good schools, good libraries, good books, foundation books at the very, very beginning, so that you nurture a population that's already sensitized to the beauty of books, to the joy of reading. This is not happening. 
Yes, and that's my question. That's my next question. If the state fails to do so, yes. what where does this lead? Well, obviously that explains why our economics are bad, why we are not so successful, because we have a small population. What we do uh, that uh, may is a contribution, maybe to is to try and find books that people can enjoy. Okay, we are more sensitive to the market. We try. And of course we do marketing, and I do a lot of speaking, a lot of explaining to the people why it's important to read, and so on and so forth. I appear very often on radio, television, so on, to, to, to encourage people to read. But uh, we are seeing something here a little bit better. We are seeing that, as, as some people say, with the growth of the middle class, so-called middle class, the people who are more interested in reading. But we, we know that most of what they want to read is the how to make money, um, books of accounting, business books, you know, management, marketing, uh, public relations, uh, human relations, and so on, law. So those are books that do better, do sell fairly well. And fairly well, we are saying, a thousand copies in a year or so, um, and uh, but that's interesting. And so th- those those kinds of books give us a bit of our bread and butter, so that we can do the other more exciting things, more exciting studies, and so on. Um, but also, um, you know, the progressive people have always been our reading, our reading. Constituency, you know. So you have uh, progressive people, you know, buying our political economy books, contributing. Some of them writing, organizing workshops, seminars, like we had uh, at the university. We have the uh, the Malim Chair on Pan Africanism. They organize a big annual conference, but in the meantime, they also uh, organize small workshops and so on. We, have, we had just another recently uh, folded up uh, the Nyerere Documentation Center, some comrades who are doing, who are writing a biography of Nyerere, which is going to come out soon. And they, in the process of interviewing people all over the world, they built up a quite a library and they organized meetings all the time to discuss issues and so on. So these, you know, we go to, we attend these conferences with our books and so on and, and sell some and international conferences which take place here, we always attend. And when speaking of, of progressive individuals and progressive publishers as yourself, how would you describe the significance of this in, in a post-African landscape? Well, let us put it this way. You had independence movement, independence struggles, and then you had independence. But with the independence, that developed various interests, of course, class interests. And uh, the struggle for ideas in many ways began at that time and this hasn't stopped I think what there was well 
before independence, of course, the whole literature was colonial literature. It all came from, uh, in our case, UK. And even the publishing houses which we existed in East Africa was Macmillan, Longmans, Oxford, Heinemann, and you know, they controlled, they had the monopoly of everything. And uh, in Tanzania, Tanganyika at that time, there was no publishing house because East Africa had been administered by the British as a, as a group of countries, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania. And Nairobi was the headquarters of those countries. So uh, everything was concentrated in Nairobi and also because Nairobi was really the colony par excellence for the British because they were settler colonialism there. So everything was centered there. So when independence came, well not only of course did every country try and assert its own independence and so on, but uh, all of a sudden, of course, there was a need to, well, who publishes for this country? And then, of course, there was set up the State House, the State Publishing Company, TPH. Uh, but then some of us thought, well, I explained why at some point I, I left to start my own company. Well, first of all, it was, a, it was in a way imposed by the structural adjustment which I told you, which basically ruined the company that yes. we, are, we, are, we were managing, Tanzania Publishing House. Uh, because we would have continued to publish books in the same kind of trajectory that we were and that we are doing now, had that company remained. Uh, now, when we could not go on with that company, and then I went outside, and I was really trying to think, should I remain in publishing or should I find something else to do? But by that time, I had uh, I got the publishing bug, so to speak, and I, I just couldn't see something else I would do except start some idea of publishing. And I thought, well, let me just start doing a couple of nice little children's books, and then uh, we'll see what happens. And then, uh, as I say, I started doing some little books, but done well. And uh, serendipity, you know, there was, a pub, there was a program which was set up here, uh, which bought children's books in a fairly large numbers, 3,000 copies and so on. So we sold that, those copies for a couple of three books and made, it sort of kind of gave us more encouragement to go on with, with publishing. One thing that, of course, later on I did, which, which is interesting, I, I did manage, that's of course years later, to purchase the Expresso book machine. Now, Expresso book machine is a print-on-demand machine, and that is now helping us to produce small numbers of books, um, not big runs, a couple hundred, three hundred, make maximum four hundred or so. But we can produce those books right here, control the quality, and also help others and make a little bit of income from printing for others. But we had a lot of difficulties with that machine, and uh, it's, it's another story, but now we seem to be managing the machine very well. And so we, are, we, are, we have been experimenting. I, I have been trying very much to experiment with ideas, technology, uh, but all this technology in some ways is a, is a old kind. We, aren't, we haven't yet 
going into digital uh, or electronic publishing seriously, but we are working on that. Uh, although I must say I'm old school in this. Uh, uh, having, we're having debates in the company which direction should we go. Uh, because it's, it's very easy for people to say digital this and digital that, and it's not as easy. You know, it's not as easy as it all sounds. Uh, human resources, big difficulty. Uh, technology is not as widely spread at certain levels as it's supposed to be. So we are, we are, we are battling with that. We know that there are elements of that that we are already started to incorporate, particularly in our marketing. You know, we're fairly extensively now, and we are. I'm seeing that, if not benefits necessarily in terms of uh, income coming in for the time being, at least, but certainly our exposure and how people reflect on the company, and so that's 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 very good. Mm. I just uh, I'll just take a, a little step back because. Uh, mm. When you were talking about, first we had these independent struggles and then we had independency, and these new ideas started to take form. And you have previously mentioned that prog- progressive publishing could be a way of, of, of viewing a second liberation. Mm-hmm. You stated earlier uh, that the book is a weapon of liberation, literature as the soul of the people and people as the objective of development. Mm-hmm. Could you, could you tell more about, yes. about this? First of all, I think one of the big problems we have in African countries is to rely either on the voice of a progressive leader like Nyerere or to rely on the ideas of reactionary leaders, not rely on them, but at least be, be suppressed to follow those ideas. and you know. Very little independent generation of knowledge has been around. Very li- and I would say there is still not enough indigenous generation of knowledge and distribution and dissemination. For instance, most of the textbooks that uh, 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 students read at the university are basically all imported. It's the same literature from the same Western academia, yes. which influences our school or university. So that if people now, imperialism doesn't have to do anything because it's already created the structures for self-sustained you know, you know, ideologues. So you have all this uh, neoliberalism you know, being preached by our own people. You know, because these have been schooled in, in Western academia and they support, they support that. They think this is the way economies should run, and especially they are very much anti-socialist, you know, mm-hmm. you know and uh, quote, anti-communist. And our, own, and our own people in those academic institutions then buy those ideologies and bring, bring them back to our universities. And if you don't have, say, if a pub, say a country doesn't have a publishing house that endeavors to be independent and grapples with the issues and ideas and can give room for those who are on the left to publish, huh? because the others, they won't get these books published in the other publishing houses. They won't. But if you have got a progressive publishing company somewhere, 
then at least we'll encourage new works, different kind of, 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 of books to, to encourage discussion in the country. Yes. And that is the point. That's liberation for me. That people have got different sources of, of knowledge, different sources of ideas, so that you can have ideas compete at least, instead of being dominated by only one idea. And I would mean even that within the progressive cause, even within, say, when we had Mualimu, well, he was a great leader, our best leader, but we opposed some aspects of his ideas. Eh? But that was only possible basically through work that was not necessarily coming out of state structures and certainly would not be appearing from official uh, positions or official organs. So both during that time and now and in the future, the, the room for independent thinking, creation of knowledge, debates, discussions, new ideas, exchanges with other people like yourselves and somewhere else like the Pathfinder, the other progressive publishers. Uh, this is nurturing internationalism as well. You know? And that's what I would like to do. That's what our company is trying to, yeah. to be, yeah. to do and to be. Yeah. yeah. But also to, in a way, um, creating an alternative to the knowledge dissemination from, yeah. from, the, from, the, from the North, yes. for instance. Yes, 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 that's right. We, we, we are saying Africa cannot just be consuming knowledge. We have to produce, and the West has not to dominate or suppress. That's why some of the struggles you've had with American and European, for example, African, American African Studies Association or <laughs> the UK African Studies Association or the uh, European Council on African Studies and so on. We are saying, no, we have to speak for ourselves. We have to contribute to knowledge. And we have to, our voice must be heard. Yes. And the only people who can speak for us as ourselves. And that's what we are trying. So we are, we are making it possible for African intellectuals to publish because most European publishers, Western publishers, they won't publish most of their works for some dubious reasons of academic, this and that and the other, you know, because they are, while of course we are absolutely agreed on very high standards, but some high standards also prohibit. And who is setting those standards after all? That's another question. That's another question. Mm. Who's setting the standards of excellency? Definitely. Yeah. Another thing that your work and, and working as an independent publisher enables you to respond directly to situations, for instance. Yes. Also, also you have been much committed to organize uh, communities of Pan-African thinkers. Um, and and to me, in many ways, it's also about building solidarities, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Across yes. the continent. Yes. Well, but but to be honest, it, some of this work is disappointing because most publishers really are interested in school book publishing because that's a more reliable. That's where our money is. Yes. So, 
we have been trying to say, okay, let's, we had the African Publishers Network, it did well, but this was not necessarily publishers with the same approach or same, same world view, no. Most of them were actually not necessarily progressive, they're just publishing. But we are saying, okay, we don't have, we cannot organize publishers of our own, uh, what can I say, we, we have all publishers, you know. And, uh, and then of course, good, good educational publishing is excellent. We must have that as well. So what we are, we are, we are, we are we support is publishers, period. You know, as long as what they're doing gets knowledge, gets entertainment, gets people reading. Yes. Yes, material for reading. Yeah. But I would like to know much, much more about about your own work and your own your own commitment to progressive publishing. Okay, I think first of all, what do we mean by progressive? My understanding of progressive is that there's one has a world view, and this world view is informed by literature that's basically liberating people. That one is consistent looking for material that helps people to understand their reality and to struggle against that reality, the negative realities. Okay? Now how that is defined will be will vary. If we were in a country that does not allow, for instance, a socialist party to be organized, or a communist party to be organized. What does that mean? It means publishing books that still allow people to understand the reality in which they live. However that is done, in some situations done clandestinely. In our situation, it is done fairly openly. But let me also say that although we are in theory able to publish what we want, one has obviously to take into into account what is possible, okay? But within that range, there are a lot of things one can do, one can publish. Now here we are looking more at the kind of political books, but there's literature, for instance. Mm. And now literature will range from, you know, this kind of uh, romance and uh, certain also almost pornographic uh, literature, erotic things, and, and move on to uh, radical novels and, 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 and fiction, poetry that is uh, anti-imperialist, that is liberation, that's socialist, and so on. A, a whole gamut of, 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 of genres and attitudes towards what authors write and what readers read. And what does, what do we promote, for instance? Of that literature, what would we like to see? Okay? So 
the kind of literature that I might be attracted to to promote does not necessarily mean another publisher would like to promote. For instance, if we write books that are against neoliberalism, some publishers think this is the order of the day. If we struggle against globalization, people say, no, this is the reality. You are wasting your time to, to, to fight it. So these are two diametrically opposed you know, attitudes. And publishers will take, will publish, will try and find work that advances the ideas they obviously believe in. But also there are, for instance, if there is a good work of an economist, of a liberal economist, but which breaks new ground into trying to explain a certain theory or a certain idea. We may not agree with it entirely, but if it is, it is one that causes people to discuss and debate, yes, we may publish that work. I'm not saying that we, we only publish those people we agree with. No, because this would be nonsense. But we say, is the work interesting? Is the work bringing something new to the discussion? Is it bringing new knowledge in a field where there has been a kind of stagnation? Those are the ideas we are looking for. Okay, is this poetry new? How does it cover issues? Is it uh, a very interesting poetry in form or only in style, but the content is reactionary? Or is it just a, a very, your slogans arranged as poetry? No. We don't accept that either because there are situations where some comrades think that stringing anti-imperialist words on a page make poetry. We say no, it does not make poetry. Okay, so these are discussions, these are debates that we have and fields that we have negotiate all the time, you know. And but and, and and then of course we have to be judged not on a single book. We said the body of literature yes. that the publishing house brings out and is identified with. That, that's 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 what we are trying to do. Yeah. Very 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 mm. good. Mm. Thank you so much. This podcast is produced by the Phenomenalist. You can listen to dozens of other episodes on your favorite podcast platforms and on our website at thephenomenalist.net.